You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. It's great to be with you. Um, I mentioned in the first service that uh, we look around us and kind of wonder what in the world's going on sometimes, don't we? Well, let me be the first maybe to invite you to the end times. To the last days. The weatherman might as well go ahead and hang his hat up, right? <laughs> I've got two apps on my phone for weather stuff. Neither one of them ever, co- you know, coordinate with each other. And uh, I've got Weatherbug and WBTV, and they always say something different. But then every time I look at it, every hour it's different. It changes every hour and. I seem to remember something about not being able to tell the times nor the seasons. And I hear about wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and famine. And at some point we just look around and go, maybe that this is, we're coming to it. But you know what? Even so, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Um, This morning, I want to talk to you uh, for a little while out of, uh, initially out of the Gospel of Luke, and be Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 6 there, but then we're going to take that verse and take us a trip through the Scriptures and think about God's grace in the gap. As you're finding your place there, I want to let you know that this morning I'm going to do everything I can to be finished a few minutes ahead of time so that I can share with you uh, about something that we have going on as a church family. Um, So uh, that way we can try not to, uh, and y'all heard it come out of my mouth, we're not, our goal is to not be running over, but uh, actually our goal is to glorify God, uh, but we're going to try to do that without running over as well. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, we find some of the same folks that we were talking about last week, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But there's something interesting about their lives in verse 6 that really intrigues me. In verse 6, it speaks of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and it says, And they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. I'm going to read that one more time. Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Father, would you take your word this morning? My heart thinks of many that are uh, sick right now, many that are uh, dealing with uh, different uh, illnesses, A lot of folks that have had procedures done at the end of the year because of met deductibles and they're recovering from those procedures and just so many, Father, right now that I can think of that would desire to be here but are unable to be here. Then there are those out there that feel disjointed, disconnected. My prayer for all of them is that your your grace would reach them where they are Be their shepherd, Lord. If they're lost, be their savior. 
please God if you so choose to, in a special way, intervene in their lives, God will give you the glory. And we thank you for your word this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you, like I said this morning, about grace in the gap. The, the, the separation, a chasm, a, a small void to a large void. And the first thing I want you to note about this is, and, and I think this is, this is the right place to, to lay a foundation, is that when we talk about gaps, we need to understand that God's righteousness has no gaps. When we speak about the Lord, I mean, we're, we have uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth here, and it says that they were walking before the Lord blameless. Don't ever miss the fact that there are no voids in the Lord. That God's righteousness, there are no gaps, there are no, uh, there are no places where things are missing. God is completely right. When we speak of his righteousness, it means that he is right. His goodness is, means that he is good. He is the only one that is righteous. He is the only one that is good. There's no fault in him. And because there's no fault in him, we have to understand in the, in the context of our unrighteousness as men, and, and here's the thing we have to remember, is that without God, we are all unrighteous. And even as a redeemed man, my flesh still struggles to, to thrive in unrighteousness, but the spirit wars against the flesh, the Bible says. But don't miss the fact that God's holy. And if God is holy, then unrighteousness is opposing God. In other words, it is against God, is an affront to God. Listen to a couple of verses about our God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And we think about God, we wonder why would God be jealous? Why is God, uh, and the idea there is that, if I can help you with it, is that God is zealous as a righteous God. When we ascribe glory or we ascribe praise to anything or anyone else, it is an affront to a holy and a righteous God. Have you ever had anyone lie to you or anyone take anything from you or mistreat you and all? And you think about that, them, that there is this thing that rises up in you, this indignation that rises up in you because you feel like they have done you worse than you would have done them, right? So they have affronted, and to a degree, they have affronted your righteousness. You would never do them like that. I had a conversation with a young person this week. And we were just kind of bantering back and forth at each other. And they were talking about somebody that did them wrong. And I said, uh, you know, I made a comment. I said, well, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I said, don't do unto them like they did you now. Nor do unto them like you think they will do you. I said, that's reserved for God and God alone. That God is the one who brings vengeance upon unrighteousness. But don't miss the fact that God in his righteousness, there are no missing places. There's no gap. There's no, there's no place, no void in God's righteousness that he is completely holy. So when we give anything else glory, it is an affront to God. As a matter of fact, the unrighteous are heaping up for themselves vengeance 
a wrath for the day of judgment. In other words, it's almost like kindling a fire. It's, it, I have to look way back to, to, to have these memories because I'm not, I'm kind of hung in the middle with, when it comes to age right now. But I do remember back to a time when you could go to bed with a fire in the fireplace or the uh, pot belly stove. And you wake up in the morning and it would be cold in the house. And you'd have to go over there and stir the coals up and put some more wood and kindling on it to get the fire back going. Sometimes you could fan the fire and the fire would raise. But understand something, that our God being a consuming fire, that unrighteousness is kindling the flame of God's wrath. That, that as we look around and we say, we don't see God acting against his uh, against unrighteousness in this world, they've always told me that be careful of the ones that don't say much more so than the ones that run their mouth. You ever heard that? It's them silent ones that'll get you. Well, I can promise you this. God is never off the job. God is never, ever off the job. So if God is not uh, pouring out his wrath on unrighteousness, it means that it is kindling more and more and more for the day of judgment. One day God will dispense his wrath on unrighteousness. And he has to, if he, he, to be just, he must let loose his righteous fury on unrighteousness. So don't miss this. Exodus 15, 7, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. It's the idea that it was very easy for them to be consumed. God's not going to struggle to war against unrighteousness because his righteousness is so pure and his anger is so right. His indignation upon unrighteousness is so, so deserved. And we can't see that sometimes. We say, well, why would God do this? Because we don't understand what true right is and what true wrong is. We, to the best of our abilities, we try to understand and we try to reason. Leviticus 10, 1 through 7, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Moses, and Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Because you can imagine, God had just consumed his sons. And he consumed them because they were doing something that God had commanded them not to do. And it was a really an affront to, the, to him because they were in at his temple giving an offering of incense to God, but they were using profane things to offer to God. And we ask questions, and I want you to ask these questions. I want you to critically think about these things. Our world is trying to destroy critical thinking. Our world is trying to tell you that you need to just listen to what you're told and accept it. But I'm here this morning telling you that you need to take everything that I'm saying to you and you need to go back 
home and you need to study and you need to decide if these things are right by God's word, this standard that we have. But let's critical think for a moment. Are Nadab and Abihu the only ones that have ever done anything against God? Surely not. Are Nadab and Abihu the only ones that ever done anything in service to the Lord within the tabernacle, the temple, or even today within the church that have done something wrong before the Lord to affront the Lord, to offend Him? No. Then why in the world would He consume Nadab and Abihu and not consume all the rest? I mean, I want those things to carry along with you. I want you to take those things with you, those thoughts, because they're hard thoughts. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. God caught them lying about some money. He killed them immediately when they walked into the temple, into the presence of the disciples, struck them dead. But they're not the only ones that have ever stole from God, ever lied to God about stuff like that, right? Why them? Why would God do that to them and not do that to others? And we ask the same question sometimes ourselves, don't we? Why is it that it seems that bad things always happen to good people? Because it's kind of like the flip of the coin, well, God, if you are holy and righteous and you do care about things being right, then God, these people are doing wrong and, I, and they've done wrong to me and I'm right before you. I'm trying to live righteous before you. Then why would you let them get away with this? Why would you let people hurt children? And why would you let things happen like this? You know, why would you let abuse go on? Why would you let all these things go on? And we ask these hard questions. The one thing I want you to carry with you before we take this next step is do not forget that God is not slack concerning his promises as others count slackness. But God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to faith in Christ. And how God works the things that he works when it comes to salvation, when it comes to judgment, when it comes to the things that we see on this earth do we have a right as finite human beings to be pointing a finger at God's face? We know this. The Bible teaches us that God is right. God is righteous. God is holy. There's no error in him. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So with God in his righteousness, there is no void. There is no gap. But thinking about man, man's life without God is nothing but a gap. We've portrayed this in tracks and in witnessing techniques for years. That there's this great chasm between us and God. You've probably seen the literature, maybe the pictures, or maybe the tracks before. Where there's this great, there's this canyon, it seems, between this hill and that hill. And you're on one side, God's on the other. But then Jesus Christ comes along, and in Christ, God builds a bridge so that you can get to God. I don't know if the you know, as far as that picture goes, but it is a good illustration, the fact that you and I, without God, we are separated from God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord, Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. 
your iniquities. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And I shared this the other day when we had one of our texts that had it in it. But I want to reiterate so that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ knows the answers to the questions when we have those questions pop into our mind. God does not listen to everybody when they speak to him. God does not, you know, God hears all prayers. No, he does not. Listen to the text. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's not that God can't hear. It's that God does not want to hear. So when you hear people out talking about, well, I, you know, I don't go to church and I don't read the Bible and I don't do this and I don't do that. But, but I pray. I believe in God and I pray. You know in your heart what the truth is. You might pray but I doubt God hears. And he says that our iniquities, our sins, are, is what separated us from him. That he has distanced himself from us because of our sins. That's why in Jesus Christ, him paying for our sins, him the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross to take our sins upon himself and place his righteousness upon us, upon our faith in Christ, our, our, His righteousness is imputed to us. It's the idea that He has transferred His righteousness to our account so that when God looks at us, what does God see? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's why Zacharias and Elizabeth could be counted as righteous just the same way that Abraham was counted as righteous. By faith it was accounted unto righteousness for Abraham. His faith to trust God, believe that God's Faithful. God's true. God's who He says He is and will say, do what He says He will do. And Zacharias, because in, in Zacharias and Elizabeth's time at that moment, verse 6, chapter uh, 1 in Luke, Jesus has not been born. Jesus has not gone to the cross. Jesus has not uh, died for the sins. He's not been put in the tomb. He's not resurrected. He's not ascended. He is not interceding on their behalf as the crucified, risen glorified Savior. But yet, Zacharias, the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, they were both righteous before God. I want you to hear my heart. Listen to it. They were both righteous before God. That's what the Bible says, right? You with me? Walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They're righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances, blameless. And that word blameless is a good word that we can take along with us. Uh, before we get there, I want, I want to throw a few more things out about this gap between God and man. Romans 9, 14 through 15 is a theology stumper for a lot of folks. You know, when I told you to question things in the sense that you research them, you, 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 you critical think about them, think about this for a moment. Verse 14 and 15, Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. No, no gaps with God's righteousness. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So he basically says, if, if, I, if I strike Nadab and Abihu, dead with fire because they sinned against me, that's my choice as to what I do. 
If I take out Ananias and Sapphira for what they did and don't take out the others, that's my choice for what I did. If I save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace, that's my choice that I did that. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That gap, that chasm between. Now, I want to go to the last thought here, and this is why I wanted to take you on this whole journey. Is that God's grace to redeemed mankind is, is seen most clearly in the gap. We know that God's righteousness, there is no void, there is no gap there. God is perfect, He is holy. Man without God is separated from God with this great chasm, this great gap. Jesus Christ does make a way for us to be children of God. That's Scripture. That He has made a way for us to become children of God, and we now in a relationship with Him. But even in our lives, Zacharias and Elizabeth, we know that they're not perfect. Because all we have to do is read a little bit further and we find out that the angel Gabriel comes to Zacharias and he tells Zacharias that you're going to have a child. Elizabeth's going to be with child even in y'all's old age. She's going to have a child. His name's going to be called John. Zacharias responds, how can this be? How will these things be to me? For I'm old and my wife is too. And the angel of the Lord struck Zacharias mute because he doubted the Lord in that moment. So we have somebody, the Bible, God's Word, so God professes that he's righteous, right? Walking in all the commandments and in the ordinances blamelessly before the Lord. That is the picture of the Christian life if there ever was. That we are righteous before God, not because of our righteousness, because if Zacharias has any righteousness, if Elizabeth has any righteousness, the righteousness is imputed to them and is given to them. Just as Abraham, it was accounted unto him. It was added to his account righteousness because of his faith. And so he is accounted righteous. She is accounted righteous. And then as they walk through the, their day trying to walk in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, they are blameless. Blameless does not mean perfect. It means that we are striving. In other words, the idea, because repentance is a word that we've forgotten about. It's a word that our world does not want to hear much of. It's a world that people don't teach much of. That, that repentance is something that God requires. He says, if you uh, or if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a process laid out before God that if you have sinned against your brother or your sister, that you are to go to them and you are to repent, the Bible says in Luke. That you are to repent when they confront you that you have, sin you have wronged them, you're to repent. You're also to repent to God over those things. You're to confess, God, I, I have sinned against you, and you only I have sinned. Just like the prodigal son, I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. Just make me as one of your hired servants. I, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy to be in the house. 
But see, I'm afraid if we're not careful, if we don't become students of the Word of God, we come near to the holy things of God and we start living the life of a Christian, but we, we, we don't get in God's Word and we don't realize that you and I outside of Christ are Gentile dogs at best. We're not worthy of the holy things. We can't beg for it. We can't buy it. We can't, we can't come up with a way to get those things. It is the grace of God that has given them to us. It's God's grace that has saved us. Why has God saved me and didn't save this person? It's grace. You say, but preacher, and please hear my heart when I say this. Stay with me. Don't just... Don't, don't shut down. They rejected God. They, they chose to go to hell. No, 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 no. Nobody chooses to go to hell. They're headed to hell. You with me? You don't choose. It's like choose hell or choose heaven. No, 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 no. You're headed to hell. What happens is that the grace of God rescues you from your destination off into everlasting eternity separated from God. So there's no choice. Well, the way they lived, they're headed. No, 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 no. Because they were born in sin, they are headed for an eternity. So you and I have to be careful that we don't get arrogant and start pointing fingers going, well, I can't see why this person acts like this or that person acts like that. You do realize that Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were once children of wrath yourself. You, were, you and I were once sons of disobedience ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy with his love, great love with which he loved us, he rescued us out of the darkness, transported us or transported us into his marvelous light. It is his, by his grace we are saved, not through works, what, lest any man should boast. We hear those words, we read those words, but will we live those words as truth? That you and I every day of our lives should wake up and cry holy unto the Lord. Early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. If the trees are going to bring glory and honor to God in the morning, why can't the redeemed of the Lord Say so as well. That you and I, by his grace. And so Zacharias, listen, listen to the, the text here. Uh, Luke chapter 1, let me go over <clears throat> to verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? How, how can this be? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Can you hear the thunder, if it will, from heaven coming down? What are you talking about, man? Are you serious? I stood at the very presence of Almighty God, sent here from heaven's throne itself to share this message with you. And you're wondering how this could be. Zacharias, a priest. Can you imagine what's going through Zacharias' mind at that time? I don't know what's going through his mind, but I know what goes through mine sometimes. 
And I, I'll, to put myself into the shoes of Zacharias, if you will, Zacharias knows about Nadab and Abihu. Zacharias knows what it happens to people or what can happen to people who profane the holy things. Don't forget that Zacharias is in the temple offering incense. Don't forget that he is ministering in the temple. And here he is, he has doubted God. You know, they used to, uh, on the high priest's robe, they would, uh, they would sew this pomegranate thing, it says, and then a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell along the hem of the garment as the priest is ministering because nobody gets to go into their, the, this place but him. And as he's ministering, the bells are ringing. And it, it's almost as if everybody sits outside wondering if the bells are going to quit ringing. Can a human being go into the holy presence of an almighty God and survive? Can by his grace. And I'll be honest with you, the fear of the Lord, if the fear of the Lord is not upon somebody who is teaching the Word of God, then that person does not need to teach the Word of God. Because I think in my own life, how in the world can a man like myself share God's Word to God's people and be right before God and God not strike me dead? Can you picture? I mean, Zacharias is in there by himself with an angel. Don't, don't discount the fact that he is there in, in, in the presence of Almighty God to begin with, ministering on his behalf, but then a messenger from heaven comes there. And every time an angel is seen in the presence of a human being, what does the angel have to say? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of a created being that has been in the presence of a holy God, what must it be like to be in the presence of the God that created the being? There he is in the, in the tabernacle, in the, in the temple there. And the angel has come to him and has told him this marvelous thing that's going to happen, but his mind cannot comprehend it because it is outside the framework of the natural life. No way, man. And he says, dude, I, I just came from heaven. I was just in the presence of the creator of the universe. If you could see what I see, if you could hear what I hear, because you got to understand, listen to where he's coming from. He is coming from a throne that has adoration and praise lifted to it 24-7. Well, I should say just continually because there is no time clock in heaven. There's no day or night. There's just light. The Lamb of God, the Bible says, is the light. And in him there is no shadow of turning and no gaps. He's never off the job. He's never inconsistent. There's never a place or time when he is not holy and righteous. There's never a time when he's messed up. And here's sinful men 
trying to live before the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I think about these things, it causes me to want to live my life in a different way for the Lord. And I know that's why he's given us this. But I also think about in my life, I go, God, you, in just a millisecond, you could take me out and you would be justified to do that very thing, God. How could I kick back against that because you being holy and righteous and me being sinful, if I commit sin, how in the world, God, are you not taking me out? This world hollers about justice all the time, does it not? Social justice this and this justice that. But we don't want real justice. Because there is just justice with God. That's it. And justice with God, well, we don't want that. We want grace. We want grace. So I want to talk to you about this gap where grace can be seen by those who are redeemed in such a miraculous way. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 6, I want to read a few verses to you. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we're going to read some more. But I just want you to put your mind there. We've we heard that one verse a lot, have we not? Well, work out your own salvation of fear and trembling. It's like, well, that's great, but what does that mean? How does that work out? Paul here says, y'all have obeyed amazingly in my presence. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, when I'm with you, man, y'all are on point. But what is much more amazing is that when I'm not with you, y'all are still on point with the Lord. I mean, you're... You're, you're walking and living the Christian life. I hear these testimonies of you. And it's so great that I don't have to be there with you. Well, as a matter of fact, think about it. If they obeyed only in the presence of the Apostle Paul and not in the absence of the Apostle Paul, it would almost be as if the Apostle Paul is the one that's giving them their righteousness. He says, now work out your own salvation of fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Did you hear that? The Apostle Paul says, it's not me working in you. It is God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing, without arguing and fighting, translated that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that, it may, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. In other words, he brought the gospel to them. And if the gospel has taken root in their lives and God is working in their lives to work out their own salvation and fear and trembling, then guess what? Paul can say, man, y'all got the real stuff. And he says, don't miss this, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. King James, that you may be. But when you context and search it out, it means the same thing, that you may become, be being the children of God. How, how, so blameless children of God. So then you think about it, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're walking, they're, 
and says all the commandments and the ordinances, and they are doing it blamelessly before the Lord. Zacharias, he, he sins, he distrusts God. God strikes him mute for a period of time until, until his child is born. He speaks again, but God does not pour his wrath out on him. It's almost as if Zacharias has now repented of things. And so he is in this process, they are, he's becoming blameless. And, and I, I'm going to translate it this way. I think that the gap is getting more narrow. I tried to say narrower, and I cannot say narrower this morning for some reason. It's rolling together. The gap's becoming more and more narrow, but grace is always there and is always sufficient. What gap? Between the infraction and the repentance. That you and I have assaulted or brought an assault against the holiness of God by committing an unrighteous act. Maybe you thought something, took it a little too far. Maybe you looked at something. Maybe you touched something. Maybe you said something. You, you went too far. You know that you have offended a holy and a righteous God. And from that moment to the moment that you repent, and the only reason that you would repent is because the Holy Spirit of God living in you causes you to repent. That is God working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You with me? He's working in you to do that, but in that He allows us the opportunity to have a war going on. Our flesh is warring against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. The things I want to do, I don't do, and I don't do, I want to do, Paul says. And so here we are in this battle. But I believe in my own personal life, and I've said this, I'm, I'm 10, 10 minutes more saved today than I was 10 years ago. And you say, what in the world are you talking about? Ten years ago, I would have a little bit more time that would elapse in between the time that the infraction occurred, the time that I sinned, to the time that I repented. But now it seems that the gap's getting closer. It does not matter how close the gap gets. In one millisecond, God could take us out. You with me? And so I see in that gap the grace of Calvary. If I could see the cross of Calvary any clearer it would be a miracle because I see Calvary in that moment from the, from the moment that I commit an infraction against God to the very moment that I repent. God, you could take me out in this, but it is the grace of God that is given to me. And I just want to proclaim this morning, aren't you glad for His grace? Much more glad for His grace than I am for His judgment. That's why it makes those verses like Romans chapter 8 seem so great. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That he has not come to condemn the world, but that he might bring righteousness to the world, that he might be saved. John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then 17 says He has not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And if God so chooses, and this is what's scary, sometimes we wonder, wow, look, we point a finger and we go, Look what God did to them. They were not being faithful in the work of the ministry. And look, it's so, so shameful. Are you kidding me? When he didn't out you. And he didn't out me for the sin that you and I committed in between the time that we 
sinned against him and then re- repented. That's why Paul, I believe, says, but by the grace of God go I. First Corinthians 15, 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Did you hear what he said? He said, but by the grace of God, I'm, I am what I am today. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be, but I sure ain't what I was. He said, I am what I am. He said, and I'll labor for the Lord more abundantly than others, but not I laboring. It's the grace of God. So every day that you and I have that we live, we can't take credit for any of this stuff. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We have to say, "His but by the grace of God that I am what I am, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not. Well, Paul Washer said it best. How would you like for the last 48 hours of your thought life to be put on that screen right now for everybody to see? You say, oh, I, I'll take it. Oh, oh no, no, no. Every, while you were on the phone conversation with that person, the thought that you had about that person is going up there. Right? Everything that you've looked at on a computer screen, on a phone, everything that you've thought about your neighbor, about your wife, about your spouse, about your kids, about your mama, about your daddy, every thought that you've had, why don't we put it all up on the screen, everything for everybody to see? And all the church says, uh uh, I'll take grace. Amen? I think that's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. What love? (laughs) The only love that there is. Paul said love suffers long. Don't rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And these three, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So I want you to just put your mind in that. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. In other words, a perfect kingdom. Why is it perfect? Because it's His kingdom. Righteousness. No gaps in His righteousness. No that's why there's no shadow of turning. That's why there's neither no more sorrow nor death nor, you know, suffering. There's no, no more misunderstandings there because everything is right. We don't make heaven beautiful. Heaven makes us beautiful. King, kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, and then he tags it with where we started. For our God is a consuming fire. It's almost as if Paul says, 
you're going to get heaven one day as a child of God. While you're here, don't forget, grace is what's carrying you. And to remind you of why grace is so good, don't forget, God could take you out at any moment. And he don't. I want to just ask you today, I wonder if you need to just thank God for the fact that His grace is sufficient in your life too. If you're a child of God and you know you're you're maybe you've got something in your life that you've not squared away. He said, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe there's something that you want to square away. You, you've arrogantly held a position. We're good at that, aren't we? It's almost like we've got this military tactic down that we're going to hold the fort against all oncomers. I'm right, and bless God, they go, no, I'm right, and I'm not going to let up. And that in and of itself has put you in the position that you think that you're God over, the, over this. You need to repent. You need to repent of that Messiah complex. Maybe you've just got some things that you have recently repented of and you go, wow, man, God's grace is so amazing right there in the gap from the time. He could have, but he didn't. And right in that window, you just want to praise him today for how good he is to, to forgive us and to allow us to keep on going. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe the gap there is nothing but a gap. Maybe you don't know Christ. And today is the day that God is drawing you to himself for salvation. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to rush you to an altar to try to get you to say a prayer to get you quote unquote saved. I think honestly and truly we have done too much of that. I want to be able to sit down with you and take the time with you to reason through the scriptures and show you so that you may know that you have salvation. Nothing wrong with praying a prayer. Nothing wrong with coming to an altar. And I, I'm not against that. I just want you to know, I would encourage you, don't leave here without letting me know. But let's talk. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. We know John 3, 16, just talked to it a minute ago. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Even that while men were sinners, Christ died for them, the Bible says. So you understand that you are sinful. And I'm just sharing, this is what the gospel is. We understand that we're sinful without any way to escape that. We can't get out of that. It's almost like it has us and we are locked in the mire. We can't get out of it. Christ died on the cross. He took our unrighteousness, placed it upon himself, took the penalty of God's wrath upon him on the cross that we couldn't take because we couldn't bear to be the sacrifice that God required because the sacrifice had to be perfect. Only Christ is perfect. Christ in our place then when we come to faith in Christ, 
The Bible says that the Christ that died on the cross was also buried, and on the third day he arose, according to the Scriptures. And then, when we place our faith in Christ, and we follow him, he, he then takes Christ's righteousness and imputes it to us. He puts it on our account. He imparts his righteousness to us. Then we walk in newness of life. Because the Spirit of the living God now dwelling in us as Christians, it is now beginning to war against the flesh, beginning to lead you to His Word, cause you to love His people, cause you to love Him. If that's what's happening in your life today, I encourage you, please don't leave here without talking to me. I want, I want to encourage you in salvation and discipleship. So, I want to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing just a verse and a chorus maybe. And then I need to share, I need like five minutes to just share something with you real quick. So Father, as we get ready to go into this time of reflection, this time of uh, invitation, I just that you're inviting us to yourself through your word. Would you do your work your way in Christ's name? Amen. you give him some praise this morning he's worthy of it amen man um so i want to clear you can sit down for just just a minute i'm, I'm just we'll do jazzercise for a minute all right so um stand back no i'm just picking don't uh so i've got to uh <laughs> yeah yeah i've been in the bulletin deal where it's still stand up, up, down, up down so anyhow um we have this thing going on, and I'm, I'm going to shoot this to you as clear and concise as I can and as quick as I can. You, you, you've maybe heard about D groups. If you have it, if you hang around long enough, you're going to go, ah, D groups. I've heard about D groups. D groups, D groups, D groups. Well, that's the goal. So we, have, we are starting a fresh and a new this year. We, we don't have uh, Sunday school slated at this moment, but we will, within six months or so, start praying about Sunday school and things like that. Come back to that in a minute. Bible studies and all this kind of stuff. All right. 
what we are doing is we're trying to encourage people to join in with us on an, on an initiative. And let me just say this, if you don't do any of this, or if you just do part of this and you don't do all of it or whatever, you are not a lesser human being. Hear me. You're not, not a part of Chestnut Ridge. I want you to hear that good because you're going to hear D groups a lot. I promise you. You'll hear D groups so much you're going to get sick of hearing D groups, okay? So what is a D group? A D group is somebody, that is a group of people between four and six people there. There is a facilitator and a co-facilitator. There's not a teacher. The Bible is the teacher. And there's a facilitator and, and there is a discussion that goes on. To be in a D group, you are signing a covenant commitment that for 12 solid months, you will read five chapters a week, Monday through Friday. Saturday, Sunday is a catch-up time. You'll read those five chapters, but not just that. You'll also memorize one verse of Scripture a week. One verse. You say, I can't memorize stuff. I could whistle Andy Griffith and we'd all be singing along. Give me a break. We can remember things, okay? So, you memorize a Scripture a week. Then you journal, and the journal is the key part. Without the journal, reading the Bible, don't get me wrong, reading the Bible's good, but the Bible needs to read you. You need to let the Bible read you. It's called a hear journal, H-E-A-R. When you journal, you say, I don't journal. And guys, I hear your heart. I hear you. I did not journal one time in my life, too. I do now. I think it is one of the most important disciplines in the Christian life. Not the most, but one of the most important disciplines in the Christian life. When you write something down, you will remember it more. It will mean more to you. And it will cause you to think. Sometimes we read, but we don't think. We don't comprehend. So as you read the Scriptures, you're going to highlight a verse, two, three verses, something like that. We have journals back here. Uh, you can get your own journal. You can bring a, a spiral-bound Mead notebook, whatever. But we have journals back here that are kind of laid out like that. They're a little bit expensive. They're 20 bucks, but it's the actual journal for the, for the thing. And they're kind of laid out for you. It teaches you how to do it. And we've got some things that will teach you. So hear, hear that being said. You, you'll, you'll highlight Scripture. Preferably even write down those verses. Like your, your verse 2, 3, you'll write those in your journal. You'll then explain those to the best of your ability. And as you go along, I promise you, it will get easier and easier. And you'll get better and better. But you will explain what it means in the context of the day that it was written. You know, what did that mean then? Then you will apply. So how does that apply to me? Why did that verse stand out to me? And this is where the Bible starts reading you. Well, I read this whole chapter, but man, this verse right here and this verse right here, they just stood out to me. And, and you apply that. What, why did it stand out to you? What did it say to you? Then you will respond. And response is basically like a prayer. I, I use the illustration all the time. If you were talking about the verse, blessed, is the, blessed are the meek. Blessed is the meek. Blessed are the meek. Then my response would be like this. I'm just going to tell you, it's kind of like a prayer. And I pray different than some people do. Maybe you pray like I do. I go, Lord, this meekness thing I struggle with. But I'm scared to pray for you to help me with meekness because that's kind of like, Lord, give me patience. And then you're going to put some thing on me to cause me to have to learn to get patience. So Lord, I don't know if I want to pray that prayer, but regardless of all that, I know that meekness is what I struggle with. And so Lord, would you please, by your grace, be gentle with me, but help me. That might be my response. So then you're going to sit down in your D group that meets once a week, various days. Um, and all we, now we've got, we got one D group meeting on Sunday morning at uh, 7 o'clock. I'm not in that one. But uh, 
but the, and then there's D-groups that meet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Wednesdays, yes. Here on campus right now there are already I think at least six D-groups set up to meet here on campus. During the regular service time you say, we're not going to have service? Yes, I'm going to be in here teaching. But I promise you, you might as well be in a D-group because I'm going to teach what's going on in the D-groups. So, all right. So you get in the D group, four to six people max in that D group. You'll sit down for 60 to 70 minutes. And you will, first off, that's, hey, somebody want to jump on the memory verse? Go through a couple people. You know, by the time you get through about three people, everybody's got it memorized in the room anyhow, because it's kind of pointless to go any further than that, right? So it's kind of like, oh, okay, I didn't memorize it, but oh, oh yep, yep, got it now. Hey, I want to do it. But no. So anyhow, the, then you'll go through your journal. You'll just, okay, Luke chapter 1. Who, who wants to start? What, what verse stood out to you? Somebody goes, hey man, verse 70, and yes, there's about like 80 verses in Luke chapter 1. Verse 75 really stood out to me, and this is what, what I journaled. So if you're this week in a D group, you're talking about what you did last week on your own. That's why the journal's important. And so you're talking, man, you're just like, you, you know, this is what happened. And you go around the room, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. By the time you're three weeks in, you start seeing stuff. Things start getting to making sense. It's, it's clicking. I'm going to be preaching throughout this year. 2021 started today. I'm a little bit ahead of you. But I'll still be in, somewhere in Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 5 next Sunday. The next Sunday I will be somewhere between 6 and 10. The next Sunday I'll be somewhere between 11 and 15. And so on and so on. The children's church. There's a book that helps families disciple their kids with this same principle. It just helps you, gives you pointers on that. We're going to use that for our children's church. You can pick one up for your own family out here to take home and kind of go through. The youth are going to be going through the same. They're going to be somewhere in between chapter 1 and chapter 5. Most likely they'll, they'll be piggybacking along kind of close to me. So everybody in the whole church is going to be on the same page. Sit down at the house, conversations will be going on, you're going to be studying. So here's what I want you to understand. I want to encourage you to be a part of a D group. You can sign up back here, you can sign up online. We're going to try to progressively get these things running. You say, my, I'm signed up, my group ain't meeting this week. Well, just be patient, we'll communicate with you. Our goal is to by the third to fourth week in January, all the people that have signed up thus far, that things will be rolling smooth, smooth by that time. That does not mean that you can't join a D group later in the year, but we're going to have to facilitate, we'll pull out leaders out of a D group in, and start building another group and progressively work those folks on because God willing, we have visitors around here and, and, all, and as visitors come, we will assimilate those visitors if they want to into D groups and people outside the church. It's not just for Chestnut Ridge, this is for the kingdom of God. Okay, that being said, if you do not join a D group, you're not going to get five demerits and we're going to send that to heaven and you're going to be excommunicated out of the church, okay? But we encourage you, if you're not going to be in a D group, please at least read on your handouts. You've got the reading list for the first four weeks. You'll see the reading list on a regular basis. We also have laminated reading list. All that information. Marvin Moose, he could not be here today. He is the uh, superintendent over that. And, and so I just, uh, there are people there to, to help out with these things. So I just want to encourage you, um, pray about it. Think about this because some things will happen, and I promise you, I've seen it already. We did 18-week trial run with three different groups, 
And you will start having more gospel conversations with other people because you will have more gospel in you on a regular basis. And we could sit here and go, hey, who in the church reads at least five chapters a week and journals on them and, and all and memorizes one verse a week? And you come stand up on the stage and we want to applaud you. We don't want to do that right now either, do we? That's why we're doing this. Because the truth we all need, I need it. I need it. I need the Word of God. Hide the Word of God in your heart that you what? Might not sin against him. That's what he said. Memory verses. Okay. So that'll start happening. You're going to see themes in the Bible start coming, just appearing. You're going to see the Bible open up like you've never seen the Bible open up before. Here's a challenge to you just to think about on your way out. How many of y'all have ever been a part of a Sunday school class or been to a Sunday school class in church or know anything about Sunday school? Anybody? Raise your hand. Here's another question for you. It's one of the first questions that they pose with Replicate Ministries. Um, it's this. How many Sunday school classes have you ever seen make other Sunday school classes that make other Sunday school classes that make other Sunday school classes? Probably never. Maybe on a rare occasion would a Sunday school class split because they got too many people for the room and they, they double. But it wasn't intentional. It just happened because it's too many people for the room. This right here, at the end of the 12-month period, you're going to be challenged to either on your own or partnered with somebody Start your own D group. I know that's scary. Everybody take a breath. I'm taking my name back off of the D group thing. You don't have to. We're going to encourage you to. Throughout the year, we're going to encourage you to start facilitating a week in the group. Doesn't mean you're teaching. You're just facilitating the discussion, breaking it in, taking the time. And the reason we're doing this is why? Because Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 says what? Go ye therefore into all the nations, baptizing them Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. I forgot about all the authority and power in verse 18 it has been given to me in heaven and on earth to Christ. So all that to just say, encourage you. Thank you for your time listening. If you have any questions, uh, somebody will be back here at the back um, to help answer those questions. So let me, let me close this in prayer. If you want to, let's stand. Father, thank you for this day, your amazing grace, your love, your kindness. I again pray for folks that are sick. I ask you, God, to strengthen us, protect us. Thank you for the folks that are here. Can't thank you enough for your word, God. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.